Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Briar. And I'm Nora. And this week we've watched Scream, released in 1996, directed by Wes Craven, produced by Kathy Conrad and Carrie Woods, and written by Kevin Williamson. But before we jump into that, Nora, have you watched anything else this week? No, I moved. Yeah, you've been busy. Yeah, I've moved to, uh, to a new place since the last time we recorded. Um, so that was kind of most of what I've been doing. Uh, I watched Scream, released in 1996. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, I think we can talk about that in a bit. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I have not watched anything. I mainly just spent this week playing Dishonored. Again. How many people did you stab? None. Uh, the second time around. Wow, you're doing one of those fancy no-stab runs. Yeah. Uh, you can hear more about that at uh, Journal Updated, which is my other podcast on the, the Abnormal Mapping Network. But, uh, yeah, I didn't do much lately. I've just been moving. <laughs> well, it's a pretty good thing to do as far as all things are considered. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, finished what I think is my last remotely horror-adjacent Kamen Rider series for a while. It is less horror-y than the first two before it. But I finished Kamen Rider Ryuki, which I didn't like very much, which is kind of a bummer because it's the only Kamen Rider series I've finished, I think, that I didn't like. But I'm kind mm-hmm. of glad that I didn't like it because the current series that's running, Zero uh, One, also isn't very good. And having liked basically everything that I watched that is before Zero One, I was sort of worried Zero One was going to be like an inescapable downturn for Common Rider. Um, just a point that they had hit and that everything else was going to be bad. But now I know it's been bad before and it's gotten better, and I'm kind of relieved about it. Yeah. I'm going to start watching a Common Rider soon. Uh, do you know which one? Yes. Uh, I think it's Kiva. Ooh, that's the... I know that's the vampire one. I haven't seen that yet. I'm watching in chronological order because I'm an idiot. Uh, yes. Uh, Kiva, I think, is the vampire one. That's the one that I was recommended because I'm a vampire fucker. I'll get there eventually, and we can maybe talk about that at some point. Though that will probably be in months by the time I get to Kiva. At the rate I'm traveling. There's some other stuff. Like, I have been watching things. There's just nothing to talk about on Cower Hour. Like, I watched a couple episodes of uh, Captain Harlock, the old anime. Ooh. um, Which has a a weird vibe. Yeah. Um, I'm, like, still slowly making my way through Serial Experiments Lane, which sort of feels like a Cower vibe, but I don't really have Mm. anything to say about that show. My first impression of Captain Harlock was like, oh, here's this scene where someone says, oh, you can't call the firefighters during tea time. It's against labor regulations. Hmm. Uh, Which is like... Well, I'd like to know more about those labor regulations, but I don't know if the show is going to go that way. (laughs) Yeah. It's a world where 
uh, the state covered like takes care of everyone's needs, and then also the state is uh, anxious about revolution, which doesn't make sense to no. me. Um, not sure how they can take care of everyone's needs if fires can't be dealt with during tea time. Well, everyone gets food because the robots go out to other planets and make food happen and then they bring it back and everyone's taken care of. Oh, colonialism. Uh, it is not clear what the details of that is because I don't think that's what this is about. But the robot, it's not even like, are the robots people? Because the plot of the show is completely unrelated to that detail. Uh, I mean, I, I would actually assume that they just have giant farm planets or something. Yeah, like, there's aliens, but it's not implied that people, like, know about them yet. There's one alien in Harlock's crew who is, quote, the woman who's devoted herself to Captain Harlock. Yeah. She's a cool lady with no mouth who drinks alcohol all the time because that's what her species ha- uses as nutrients. Hmm. Okay, there's some implications to that setup, but that would take a different podcast to go into, probably. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, do you want to talk about Scream? I sure do. Funnily enough, I have a summary for it right here. Oh, weird. I also have one of those somewhere. Wow. Um, Contact warning, Sarah. Just, I guess, like the usual slasher movie violence. I don't think there was anything particularly... Out of the blue? Mm, I don't think there's anything, like, that isn't covered by that already, yeah. Okay, so, without further ado, let's talk about Scream. Home alone, high school student Casey takes a series of phone calls from a stranger who slowly turns more and more hostile, eventually threatening her and revealing that her boyfriend Steve has been taken hostage, tied to a chair just outside of her house. 
The caller demands that she play a game with him, and answer questions about horror movie trivia in exchange for their lives. After getting the practice question, who was the killer in Halloween, correct? Casey then fails the second one, incorrectly pinning the murder of Friday the 13th on Jason Voorhees. There's no respect for our horror elders these days. Um, this, funnily enough, is how I got spoiled on Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, in response... The caller murders Steve and offers Casey a final question. Which door is he at? Casey flees through the house, taking a knife and finding shelter outside as she sees that the caller has entered her house, dressed in a black robe and a spooky white mask. She is eventually caught and stabbed as her parents pull outside the house, unable to call out to them after being choked by the caller. Her parents overhear her being murdered over the phone that she is still holding and leave the house to find her gutted and hung in the front garden. Um, if I remember correctly, they put this actress in all of the marketing, which is very funny considering she bites it. <laughs> yeah, so moving on. Uh, sometime later, I think it's either that, that night or the following day, probably. Uh, after her boyfriend Billy sneaks into her room late at night, Sydney Prescott is reminded by her father that he'll be away until Sunday. They discuss their relationship over a cover of Don't Fear the Reaper, and Billy then leaves. The next day at school, police are everywhere, as Sydney learns about Casey and Steve's murder. The police are questioning all the students, including Sydney, although they all talk around the subject of a previous murder when she's with an earshot. Her and her friends Tatum, Stu, Randy, and Billy talk about the murders and theorise who could be responsible. Um, this is the first scene we have with Matthew Lillard in here. I fucking love Matthew Lillard. Who's that? Stu. Uh, also known as the the voice of Shaggy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's Shaggy in both of the, the live-action Scooby-Doo movies, and that voices him from a certain point on in cartoons and stuff. Yeah, um... Was he in Back to the Future or something? Maybe. That feels like his period of acting? I don't know if that's true. He reminded me of someone. Maybe he just kind of looks like Biff a little bit. Maybe. I mean, that's a very easy way to check. Uh, yeah. I do not see Back to the Future on this list. Yeah. Um... So after coming home that day and seeing the news focusing on the murders and the killing of her mother one year ago, Sydney receives a similar call to Casey's. She is also attacked afterwards and struggles with the killer until she manages to barricade herself in her room. Just as she has, this happens, her boyfriend Billy comes back in through the window and startles her, dropping her cell phone in the process. Believing that he made the call, Sydney flees and Billy is arrested on suspicion of the earlier murders. An opportunistic reporter, Gail Weathers, shows up just too late to get footage of Sydney being taken away. At the station, Dewey, Tatum's brother and the deputy sheriff, explains that the killer's costume is sold all across the state, having found it in Sydney's house, and this makes it difficult to track the purchase, leaving that the cell phone records are their only other lead of finding out where the calls came from. Sydney leaves, and after punching Gail, who is writing a book on her mother's death in the face, she spends the night at Tatum's house, where she receives another ominous call from the killer. He tells her that she's pinned the crime on an innocent man again, and hangs up. 
The following morning, Dewey tells her that Billy's phone records had come up clean, and Sydney discusses her mother's murder with Gail and questions if he really thinks that the man put away for it, Cotton Weary, is innocent. Later on, Sydney bumps into Billy, who urges her to move on from her mother's death before having another encounter with the killer in a bathroom. Uh, we see him sort of emerge from one of the bathroom stalls with a long shot on the very specific boots that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside, Gail tries to charm some information out of Dewey as we learn that the school has been suspended. Stu explains his plans to have a party to celebrate, and after the students have all left, Principal Himbury is ambushed in his office and also killed. Stu visits Randy. It's worth, it's worth mentioning who is playing Principal Himbury. Yes, it's the guy from Thingy. Ah, uh, fuck. I have unfortunately forgotten the name. Happy Days. Was that it? Uh, yeah, he's the guy from Arrested Development. <laughs> oh, he's in Arrested Development as well? Yeah, he's the lawyer, I think. I have never watched an episode of that show in my life. Um, I just know he's like the main guy from Happy Days, I think. He's like Fonz. Fonzie. Yeah. Um, which I guess would have been like the big thing he was known for at this point. Probably. I mean, he's done so many things. I don't. I don't really know like what. But that's like the 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 biggest one, probably. Henry Winkler. That's his name. Um, he was also in You Don't Mess With The Zohan, famous movie that everyone loves and thinks is really good. I found his uh, Himbury's page on uh, the Scream wiki. Oh, I did not consider looking there's, at that. There's so much detail here. Um, Weird. Death, year, 1996, cause, stabbed four times in chest and stomach with knife. That's very specific. Also, they, they've identified the killer here in a way that I question, uh, but we'll get to that. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about identities and places of certain people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I? So yes, Principal Himbury is ambushed in his office and killed. Just before this, there is a section where he looks into the hallway and sees the janitor, which is Wes Craven, dressed up as um, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, which is very fun. I didn't, I didn't even parse that. Uh, Stu visits Randy at his workplace and movie store, and they discuss the murders while Randy raves about how the police don't watch enough horror movies, and that they are misunderstanding the case. He accuses Steve of continue, uh, not Steve, Billy, of being the killer, and Billy happens to be right there, and they sort of have a, a little fight over it. The town closes its doors early for the new curfew as Sydney and Tatum go shopping for the party, all the while being stalked by the killer. The sheriff, who is revealed to be wearing the same boots that we saw earlier in the bathroom scene, explains to Dewey that the calls have been tracked back to Sydney's father, and that tomorrow is the anniversary of her mother's death. Her father. It's not a prime suspect. Dewey shows up to the party to keep an eye on Sydney, uh, swiftly followed by Gail Weathers, who comes to spy in the night's proceedings, expecting the killer to show up. She takes an opportunity to check on the party with Dewey and uses it to hide a camera in the front room beneath the TV. Meanwhile, Tatum goes to the garage to fetch a bear, but is trapped and attacked by the killer. 
She tries fighting them off before attempting to escape through the pet flap in the garage door, but is stuck and crushed to death after the killer raises it. Um, not a pleasant way to go, all things considered. No, not really. I think she's the only person that doesn't get, like, stabbed? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, Billy suddenly appears at the party to talk to Sydney, which they go upstairs to do privately. Outside, Gail and the cameraman tune into their camera feed, which is on a 30 second delay. Sydney and Billy discuss their relationship again, and both of them apologise to each other before having sex. Downstairs, the other partygoers are watching Halloween, and Randy stops to explain the rules of surviving horror movies to everyone. Uh, which he knows pretty well. Dewey and- yeah, so you don't have sex? Nope, don't do that. Uh, don't drink. Don't drink, which they are all doing, obviously. Uh, don't leave the room while saying, like, I'll be right back, which Stu immediately does. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a fourth one. I don't really remember. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that Cabin in the Woods is doing, but like far more like up its ass about it. I feel. Hmm. I haven't seen that movie in a while, but... It very much feels like it's playing with the same stuff Scream does. Just, like, For sure. way more openly. Yeah, it's... It's a little different, if I remember right, but... Because that's more about, like, performing those things rather than just, like, acknowledging them. And, like, there's, an, there's like, an element of, like, putting on that show... Sure, but the people who are, who are like doing those things, aren't doing them on purpose. Mm-hmm. They're being like directed to do them, but this, I think it's still playing the similar things. Excuse me. Uh, Dewey and Gail take a walk to investigate a report of a crash car down the road, while a call comes into the house that Principal Henry has been found dead. Most of the party goers leave to go and gawk at his corpse, which has been found hung from the football posts of the school. After nearly being hit by fleeing students in their cars, Dewey and Gale tumble into the underbrush and find Sydney's father's car crashed there. They very quickly rush back to the party. <sighs> Sydney and Billy talk while they're getting dressed, and the killer enters the room. He stabs Billy multiple times before chasing Sydney through the house. She finds an upstairs window to climb through, falling onto a covered boat outside the garage and discovering Tatum's corpse stuck in the garage door. Alone in the house, Randy is very slowly stalked by the killer as he continues watching a movie, but the killer leaves him after hearing Sydney scream outside. She makes it over to the news van where Kenny is watching the camera feed from the house, and the two of them see Randy about to be attacked. Kenny leaves the van but is slashed across the throat as they remember that the delay is 30 seconds. And Sydney once again flees from the killer, dashing sort of through the front of the van and out to the door. Dewey and Gail make it back to the house after she's left, and Dewey enters with his gun drawn. Uh, he very comically sweeps the house, uh, checking all the yeah. corners, and seems not to find anybody, whilst Gail finds a pool of blood outside of a van. She goes to call 911 as Randy appears at the van window, and she hits him in the face with the phone until he falls over before starting the van up. Uh, the window is completely covered in blood, so she can't see. 
And as she backs up, Kenny's body slides off the roof and onto the window. Panicking, she tries to drive away, but swerves to avoid Sydney in the road and crashes. Sydney runs back to the house just in time to see Dewey leave, a knife in his back. The killer appears and takes it out of him, uh, chasing Sydney to Dewey's patrol car. Um, she tries to lock herself in, but the killer has the car keys and does he... I think that seems to happen in a lot of horror movies, I think, where someone like ducks out of sight of a car window and then appears somewhere else. It's very... He does a little, little tap on the window with the knife as well. It's very, very funny. It's very playful. Um, what was that? And he scurries around, tries to unlock another door. And then comes in through the boot. Or the trunk, I guess. What? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta compensate for those regional differences. Uh, Sydney flees back to the house, and Stu, uh, Stu and Randy appear, accusing each other of being responsible for the murders. After taking Dewey's gun off of him, Sydney locks herself in the house, and Billy reappears, falling down the stairs, bloody but able to walk. He lets Randy back into the house before shooting him. Billy reveals that the blood all over him is fake, as Stu also appears and shows Sydney the voice changer they've been using to make the calls. Which apparently isn't actually a voice changer, it's just another guy calling in. <laughs> um, which must have been a fun day on set for him, I guess, just like... Do some spooky calls oh, yeah. for us. Uh, they corner Sydney in the kitchen, and Billy explains that his mother abandoned him after discovering his father was having an affair with Sydney's mother. Stu brings Sydney's father in, bound and gagged, and they explain their plan to pin the murders on him. Stu and Billy stab each other a bit to sell them being left for dead by the killer, and Billy gets carried away, stabbing Sue several times. Clearly starting to feel the blood loss, Stu wanders over to get the gun and finds that it's missing. Suddenly, uh, Gail appears with the gun pointed directly at Billy. The safety is on though, and Billy knocks her out, but neglects to kill her after Stu realizes Sydney has disappeared during the struggle. The phone rings, and Billy answers it to find Sydney on the other end with a voice changer. She invites them to play a game, and Billy goes to look for her. On the phone, Stu says that he did it all because of peer pressure. He hopes his mum and dad won't be too angry once they hear what he's done. In the hallway, Sydney surprises Billy and stabs him with an umbrella before fighting off Stu and killing him by dropping the TV onto his head. Randy reappears, still alive, and is punched out by Billy immediately, who, also still alive, makes another attempt to kill Sydney before Gail pulls the trigger from the doorway, blasting him back. They stand around him as he stirs a final time. Sydney shoots him in the head. Outside, Gail Weathers gets ready to go live on the scene as the credits roll in. That's green. Books the colors of a bright elation stolen in the sun. 
And that's Scream. I feel like we got through that very quickly. Yeah, uh, because there's not that much to talk about. Um, and this is a very kinetic movie. It was two hours long, but it was still like a pretty, pretty breezy two hours. Um, it has a, a very nice sense of momentum to it. And it doesn't get, it doesn't use that to become like overburdened with what's going on, even though there are like a bunch of different moving pieces. It never feels overwhelming or like too much. Uh, I was definitely in the like, oh, okay, so there's probably two uh, killers, but I couldn't like decide. I couldn't like really decide what I thought was happening before the actual reveal happened. Yeah, there's a lot of like scenes that are briefer sides, but they are small enough and unimportant enough that they don't really interrupt the rest of the scene just being like straightforward shit happening. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to Van Helsing, I guess, in the sense of like, there's just a lot of things happening and they happen very quickly and it keeps a good pace, uh, which uh, you could say is just the mark of a good movie because this is just kind of a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Um... I've never seen this before. I did watch Scream 4 in the theater, and I have some extremely vague memories of that. But um, This is the only Scream I've seen. I've watched it a couple times. Um, I like it. Um, yeah. I was like, I don't know the first I time have, I watched it, have... I was a little... Uh, not, like, confused. Like, I know, obviously, the scary movie series... Like, mm-hmm. com- comes out of this as, like, a parody sort of thing. But this yeah. Scream is already kind of a, like, satire to some degree. Um, it's interesting, because I was, like, thinking about this movie after I watched it and, like, trying to decide of, like, do I, is there anything I actually have to say about this movie other than just it's a good movie and, like, you know, themes brain and everything and, like... There is a sense of, uh, you know, they, they have the brief scene where they're like, motives are relevant, it's the millennium, where it feels like this sort of aimless nihilism yeah. is like underpinning some of this stuff, and it's like... Yeah, it's like the clock is at 12, anything could happen. Yeah, and like, I understand that there is like a cultural context that is a little bit lost because I was... Uh, three years old when this movie came out, so like that time space, time space is like only only barely uh, familiar to me. Uh, it is like a weird experience to see like this th- thing from when yeah I was uh, I was alive during this. I was a little baby, and I have very very vague memories of some of these like. Like, pieces of set dressing and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, But, um... I don't know... Like, if the point is supposed to be, like... End of the century, end of the millennium, like... Rotting culture? Like, oh, the kids these days are so just degenerate and nihilistic and they're getting desensitized to violence but on TV and video games and now they're just going to tear society apart. I don't know if like that's what it's like intending to do, but it does kind of come off as that. 
Yeah, I don't know that it's doing that as much as it is like playing with how like a lot of slasher movie villains don't really have motive either, right? Or if they do have motive, mm-hmm. it is kind of like very loose. Right. Um, I mean, there's someone else who didn't particularly love uh, Scream. And that's that. Uh, this this movie was this, our buddy Roger mm-hmm. uh, gave this movie a three star rating. I think it's out of five. Uh, if this is Roger Ebert, it's out of four, I believe. Oh, because he does. I think he does that specifically so he can't give a movie like a middle score. Okay. Well, he seems kind of middling on it in the text, but. Um... He describes, uh, there's this, um, there's this line here. In a way, this movie was inevitable. A lot of modern film criticism involves deconstruction of movie plots. Deconstruction is an academic word. It means saying what everybody knows about the movies in words nobody can understand. (laughs) Scream is self-deconstructing. It's like one of those cans that heats its own soup. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? It is very much, especially all the stuff with Randy, Mm -hmm. it is breaking down basically why other characters are doing the things they do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we literally get the, the rules of horror thing from Randy as upstairs Billy is intentionally forcing, like, Sydney to break them. Um, not for, like, any, like, literal reason, just because he has constructed to himself that that rule needs to be broken before she can be killed. Yeah, uh, I don't... I was unclear on how much of that was them fucking around and how much of them was like, how much of that was them trying to literally recreate, um, the, like, paradigm of a horror movie. Because it seemed like they were just fucking around and, like, you know, not, and, like, using that as, like, a way of, uh, structuring what was happening, but not in the way of, like, I am, recreating a horror movie specifically. Yeah. If that makes sense. The way it makes sense to me is, like, you know, if they were just wanting to kill people, they could probably just kill people. But they're choosing to, like, make a thing out of it. They said movies don't make people psycho. Movies make psychos more creative or whatever. Yeah. Uh, So it's, like, not... This is where I was, like, pointing out this difference between this movie and Cabin in the Woods, where mm. they're both recreating these things, but, like, there's a different... Mm, there's a different type of performance in Cabin in the Woods of, like, specifically for an audience, yeah. whereas this is the people, the characters are recreating, or, like, following these steps because they are mired in this paradigm in this like art form yeah whereas in cabin in the woods those rules are being followed because they are like very literal rules for like an eldritch creature yeah because the audience wants to see these certain things happen specifically um um also like a difference in that obviously by the time cabin in the woods rolls around people are very used to this kind of shit 
But Scream, mm-hmm. like Scream, comes out even late in the cycle for like slasher movies, right? And is like blamed as an influence for killings. I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah, which is like, you know, obviously had results on how Scream Two looks and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I think also they didn't get their original like school filming location because. I think this wasn't that long after like Columbine, right? Oh, I didn't. Oh no, Columbine was way later. Uh, three years later. Which? What am I thinking then? Because there was definitely a movie. There was a reason they didn't get the school location. Okay, I guess the I guess the school just objected on account of the the violence. And stuff in the movie. Um, but yeah, I know like it was blamed for stuff that came after. Uh, there was like it was accused of inspiring like copycat people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know generally is not great for your movie franchise. Yeah, I mean, I would generally recommend just like not doing murders, really. That's usually the way to go. That's how I personally like to do things. Uh, if there's nothing else to go over here, do you want to look at some questions? Sure. We got an email from Tron. Uh, who's your favorite character in this movie? Oh, it's definitely Stu. I think Matthew Lillard just fucking like, steals this movie. Uh, mine was Billy. And I was just trying to figure out why he was so familiar because I like looked up looked up all the movies and stuff he'd been in. I didn't see anything that I recognized. Uh, but the truth is, is that he just looks like a young version of the guy from Burn Notice, <laughs> uh, and that's why I liked him. <laughs> it's Skeet Ulrich, right? Ulrich. Yeah. I I only know him from Riverdale. Hmm. Um, but he is, I think he has, like, a fairly main role in Riverdale. I watched most of the first season of that, but never finished it. Yeah, I, I got, like, a little bit way into season two. And didn't really get any better than that. He's, like, Jughead's dad. Mm, okay. I don't think I met that kid. Oh, wait, no. Y- he's in season one. I vaguely remember. I vaguely remember, yeah. Uh, what was your favorite sh- shot or scene? Um, hmm. I think probably the discussion in the mo- like the movie shop, where Randy's just fucking going off on one mm. and it's constantly showing people in the background. Like, what? <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, another thing of like, oh, I haven't thought about the idea of a, like a movie rental place in years. Yeah, I guess we, like, I think there are still the occasional blockbuster, like, lurking around places in England, but most of them are long, long, long gone. The idea of a store for movies when everything is just digital now is just, like, something I haven't thought about in forever. Yeah, I mean, we still have, like, HMV and shit that sells movies and films Mm -hmm. and stuff movies and films two distinct separate things right yeah movies are good (laughs) 
What do you think about the now iconic Father Death costume? Uh, I like the Scream like mask. I think it's really fun. Yeah. Um, I thought this was going to be a goofier movie. Uh, maybe like the sequels are to blame for that, for my cultural osmosis, or maybe literally just the parody that uses this mask Yeah, is what I'm thinking of. I know, uh, I think the third one generally doesn't have a very good reputation because it like leans on the, the campiness a lot more. Mm. Um, I'd be interested to watch the rest of these just because like the perspective of something that is self-aware in this way is very different as like we enter the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, that filming a fifth uh, one also. Oh, are, are they? I mean, I don't know if they are like literally filming it right now, but <laughs> they are supposedly making a new one for 2020. Uh, 2021, is it, it's in, it's in pre-production, which means they're, it's not coming out anytime soon, especially with, uh, COVID, that's what it's called. Mm. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to watch the rest of these. I have them on DVD. Um... But on the subject of them being kind of goofy, I do think, like, the killers are very bumbling in a lot of their, like, interactions. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of a, just a slasher thing, actually, really, now that I think about it. There's a lot of bumbling on all sides in slasher movies. Yeah. Very bumbly (laughs) genre. Everyone just being very accident-prone is sort of a... A mark. <laughs> it's useful. Um, also, this just makes me want to watch Halloween. Well, I mean, good news about what we're watching next time. Because uh, they, they watch Halloween in this movie, and Halloween's just a really good movie. I saw a midnight showing of it with Autumn last year. Uh, it's really, really just a good it's a great movie. I don't know. Love that movie. Well, I'll be looking forward to it then. Hyped it up for me now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have much more to say about Scream 1996. Uh, but you know what that means. I think I do know what that means. Do you have somewhere to take us to? Yeah, are you ready to go to hell? I'm always ready to go to hell. I have a all-access pass. We are graded on the with the new banner on Funko.com. It no longer offers to tell us about COVID-19, and instead offers 10% off on various things for Father's Day. I have been on this fucking website enough that if I type F-U into my search bar, like, Funko comes up immediately. <laughs> Uh, I guess Father's Day is coming up. I mean, it's we're not today as far as I know. I'm going to type Scream into the search bar, and we're going to see um, what happens. You have neglected to mention, also on the front page here, is Joey Wheeler, Maximilian Pegasus, Red Eyes Black Dragon, <laughs> and my personal good friend, Yuki Moto. Um, that is true. 
And so is Tiger Woods and The Office. Oh, I don't care about those guys. Uh, also, oh wait, scroll down. Funko celebrates Pride. Oh, there's a bunch. Did we talk about this already? I don't think we did. Uh, yes, we did. There's also a bunch of furry Funkos beneath that. Because SpongeBob was, was, is gay. They said it on Twitter. Um, wow. I'm so happy to share these vaulted halls with SpongeBob, Batman, and Hello Kitty. Her name is Ashley White. Thank you. Okay. I mean, I was, I was using her public title. I think that's right. Why is, why is Batman here? Is it Ashley? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's... What is the name of Hello Kitty? Kitty White. I don't know why I replaced that. It's, her name is Kitty White. She saves Amaro in that cool Gundam crossover. That is true. Uh, They've changed the Funko site. They have. I just no- I have noticed the changes as I have clicked on to view this six-inch super pop of Exodia, the Forbidden One. The Forbidden Pop. This actually looks pretty good. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> if you search for something and there's no results, it now says these aren't your the results you're looking for. But check this out instead, and give and just gives me a random thing to look at. So perfect. That's pretty useful. Um, this suits our dark your... purposes. Yeah, uh, so your Funko today is Ariel, the Little Mermaid, pink dress. Oh, a Disney Funko. Um, never before has the absence of a mouth on a Funko just, like, horrified me more at first glance. <laughs> I don't know why it hits so hard on this one. Well, because she sold her voice. That's why she doesn't have a mouth. Damn. Wow, makes you think. Um, aside from this, this is a very nondescript Funko Pop as far as Funkos go. Like, they're usually, like, pretty abstract. Um, I don't know that I would clock this as Ariel, unless it's set. I would, because she has the hair. I mean, I guess it's It's like this very specific hair. I guess. I just, I, I don't think I have the same, like, Disney vision. I played all of Kingdom Hearts. I know uh, Ariel the Little Mermaid when I see her. Fair enough. Um, but yes, aside from her unsmiling face, we have the classic red hair. She's got some little earrings. That feels like a small detail to make it through on a Funko. But they're there. Mm-hmm. Also, like, the ruffles on that dress are surprisingly detailed for a Funko. Um, I guess it's because they didn't really have to do, like, legs or anything, so they just went ham on that instead. Mm-hmm. Um... In general, the, the dress like looks pretty good for a Funko. I don't know if that is enough, obviously, to pull up the rating for the entire thing. We do have some lacking details on the rest of the thing to look at. Which are, unfortunately, I think, going to bring it down in my estimations. Um, I think maybe you could improve this with the, the Premium Pop Protector. That would probably give it a few more points, just to know that it's in there, nice and safe. My collectible won't be damaged. But with that one, mm-hmm. it's going to unfortunately be zero Funkos out of five. All 
Right, maybe, well, maybe I should move to an out of four scale, just like our good friend Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to bump it to a four point scale. No, just to make sure we're we're making firm decisions. No middle sliders, Funkos. Um, down here in the recommended, there is uh, a Little Mermaid water bottle, some Little Mermaid drinkware, a notebook. Most of these are the loosest branding possible. Flippin' awesome. That classic catchphrase of Ariel. Who who says that dreams have to stay just dreams? That is a very generic catchphrase. Uh, but I do appreciate this uh, water bottle that says, Instant Mermaid, just add water. Which is a TV show. They made a TV show about girls who turn into mermaids when they get wet. Mm. That feels like bypassing many of the common downsides and restrictions of being a mermaid. <laughs> My sisters watched that show when I lived with them in Germany. Um, so I don't know what it's actually called. I think something with H2O in the title. I think it's an Australian show, because a lot of those shows are Australian. But I just love mermaids down there. Yeah, I guess so. Um, that's all in the Funko Zone this time. Yeah, not much exciting in the Funko Zone today, unfortunately. I do have a question for you. I would love a question. Where can people find you online? Well, online, people can find me at Wagazelle on Twitter. Or they can find links to the stuff I do at Wagazelle.com. What about you? You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You can do it, find everything that I do at NoraBlake.online. You can support this show at Patreon.com slash Export Audio. I've got lots of patron-exclusive business happening soon uh, on there, uh, including a podcast where I just play League of Legends with my girlfriend, which is pretty fun. Um, and then some other stuff. Where can people send their questions? And I guess also maybe like movie recommendations? It's getting to the point where I'm yeah. struggling to figure out what I want to like cover in the future. Yeah, uh, you can send that in to export, uh, export Audio Podcast, I think. Is that right? I believe it's export audio podcast at gmail.com. That's correct. Well, if that is all of our business for today. I think time is up for the car hour. Send in those questions and join us next week as we watch Halloween. But until then, good night. Good night.
instead. <laughs> <laughs>